0: This is the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast, a podcast brought to you by two physical therapists devoted to helping physical therapists and other healthcare providers become better educators to patients, students, the community, and each other by interviewing prominent and passionate people within the realms of healthcare and education. The Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast is intended literally for educational and entertainment purposes only. No clinical decision-making should be based on only one source, and therefore this podcast should not be used as personal medical advice. While care has been taken to ensure accuracy, occasionally mistakes and factual errors can be present, as we are only human. This is our journey on the road to becoming better educators, so get ready with your pen and paper as class is about to begin. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast. I am one of your hosts, and I'm Brandon Poen, and as always, I'm joined by my other co-host and good friend, F. Scott Veal. And today, we are thrilled to bring our audience some insight into a promising new development and solution to the issue of universal electronic medical record access and security. And we hope that this episode reaches many students and clinicians to raise awareness and generate discussion of this potential solution to the current problems within not only the U.S. healthcare system, but global healthcare as well. As today, we welcome Dr. Mark Baker, founder of MediChain. Now, MediChain is a medical big data platform that gives patients ownership of their own medical data. And it allows patients to store their own data in a secure way and give access to specialists Anywhere, regardless of the payer network or electronic medical record, or EMR for short, that will be used. Now, for those of you who don't know, Dr. Mark Baker has a doctorate in cancer research from the University of Oxford, and he was a fellow in neuroscience both at Oxford and Cambridge, and has more recently worked with Harvard and neuroscience projects. He was also Chief Technology Officer at Europe's largest predict analytics company, Purius, where he worked with the former chief scientist of Amazon. Now, dr baker thanks so much for taking the time to come on today to chat with us about metachain and all these different aspects and how this can potentially help with a lot of the problems not only here in the u.s but global and within healthcare systems as well when it comes to emrs and security and you know i realize that i left a lot out of your bio but was there anything that you'd like our audience to know about you that i didn't mention in our brief intro here it's great to talk to you both today actually you've done a really good job there brandon so
1: uh I'm sure as we chat uh, today, other interesting things will come out. I've always been interested in big but solvable problems, and I hope that comes across. Uh, This is a very exciting one.
2: Yeah, for sure. Dr. Baker, your bio seemed quite full of an unusual mix of background roles uh, within big data, uh, healthcare, cybersecurity. Do you think you could tell our audience uh, a a little bit of your story and about your educational experience and how that led you to where you are today?
1: Well, i would run a technology startup for my mid-teens, supported by agfa Kragiva, the uh, Belgian pharmaceutical company, had won Toshiba Year of Invention, and then was headhunted at the end of my doctorate to head up a small group at Janssen Pharmaceuticals, part of Johnson & Johnson, on drug development, a big, big data project. So that was my first real-world big data experience. Later on, I came back to big data when working directly for the chief executive of the UK Medical Research Council, Professor Sir Colin Blakemore, I ran a laboratory for him at the Radcliffe Infirmary in Oxford. At the same time, I'd always been interested in cryptography and security. And there are great opportunities if you're at a university like Oxford to meet cryptographers who who get involved in security engineering. So it's at that stage that I developed cryptographic solutions that were later used by companies like T-Mobile and the government of a very high profile former British dependency. So when blockchain started to be developed, and I understood the technology that was going into it. It seemed very natural, a very natural development what I really knew to apply it to medical big data.
0: Awesome. And, you know, and Dr. Baker, you know, in your opinion, kind of before we get into some of this nitty gritty about kind of how this all works, first, let's kind of get an overall scope here of kind of what the situation is. So, you know, what do you see as the biggest current problems within how healthcare systems are as a whole at handling, um, electronic medical record access and security?
1: I think that the big issues really relate to the fragmentation of the data. There are dozens of different silos, there are different corporations, there are different systems, all gathering data separately and in different areas. And really something that can draw them together would be a tremendous asset. And of course, there are very limited expectations of the value of this. Each person has their own idea of what they're going to do with it. So a huge amount is being lost.
2: Yeah, I think uh, this is kind of the million dollar question here for our audience, and, you know, for somebody who's pre- perhaps not tech savvy, myself included, in layman's terms, what is blockchain technology and how does it work and how secure is it? Well, you described
1: it as a million dollar question. I can't help but jump in and say that really it's a trillion dollar question. <laughs> but, let's go look back at the top of the blockchain. Let's think, think of it as a database. The sort of thing a bank might store ledgers in. Imagine it stores a record. Who owns a particular bit of, for example, money? Instead of having a piece of paper with $10 written on it. It's an entry in the database. So if I had the only copy, I could change it and give myself some money. So that wouldn't be so good. And with paper money, some governments do that, but that's not uncommon. That may be why they object to any change to that, this sort of system. they print a bit more money to help themselves. In the electronic version, what we can do is let anyone have a copy of the whole database. So they can see if it's been changed illicitly and improperly. And then to stop everyone changing it, stop each person who's got it, adding up money for themselves, every change is digitally signed every time you spend or get a bit of this digital money, a math function is applied. So every time the database is changed, it's marked with a unique number to show that it's a proper change. And then you share those across every copy all over the world. So that's a simplified model for something like Bitcoin. Database, everyone has it. It's digitally signed, so you can't just add and take money out of it. And it keeps a record of who added money, who's who owns the money, where it is, at least by number. And, uh, Think of our system as basically a much more complex database, something more, more like Google in terms of its complexity. It tries to store all the internet. Google tries to store all the information on the internet. We try to store all the medical information. But a similar size to Google is where we're aiming for. So that gives you a sort
0: of overview yeah so i think that's a really interesting idea and in terms of like how we could basically use that to really store stuff on a massive level so i think that would be definitely be an interesting thought and you know and i know from very very limited perspective and again i don't really know much about this in general but you know i know that the country of estonia utilizes blockchain technology for their emrs and you know are there any other countries that are doing this um, and how are the country or countries uh, that are utilizing this for their EMRs doing in regards to kind of the fragmentation problems that you kind of mentioned before that global healthcare is facing?
1: Although it's uh, not a healthcare approach, blockchain is part of Britain's official digital strategy for across all government services and has been since early, early last year. Interestingly, given the responses of some other countries – in fact, a lot of other major countries. The Bank of England is actually carrying out research into various types of digital currency and the technology that underpins them. The Bank of England's chief executive, Mark Carney, actually said only last week that Bitcoin poses no threat to global financial stability. So some governments are actually very on this.
2: Well, I mean, at least uh, it's starting to get the nod in the right direction there. Um, what, what would you say are some of the biggest pros of using blockchain technology uh, to address EMR um, access and security? Well,
1: partly, it's because it doesn't have to be linked to the underlying legacy technology base. So there are a lot of silos out there, a lot of separate systems. It doesn't have to be... It, it can link these together as a network. It doesn't have to just try to replace them. And in our system, because it creates un- unchangeable records, which are essential from everything, from insurance to medical research.
0: Gotcha. Well, you know, I got to be honest. On our show, we kind of like to do a little bit of devil's advocate here and there, so I got to ask this next follow-up question. <laughs> so, with that being said, what are some of the limitations to implementing blockchain technology in the current global healthcare system when it comes to EMR record access and security?
1: Okay, so that's a very good one. I think this is a point that's been trivialized by some other medical uh, uh, and healthcare blockchain technology companies, speed and size are really the main limits. For conventional technology, they're quite major limits. I think that other blockchain companies have probably glossed that over somewhat, whereas we started off as being central and started off by seeing how could we solve those before we even started to say that we had a solution. So we've got some very good solutions, but they have to be central. You have to regard these as central to even trying to address this type of difficult problem.
2: So... In your opinion, what are some other solutions other than blockchain technology that could help improve the electronic medical record access and security problems specifically in the global healthcare system?
1: So the obvious ones are cloud storage for scale and flexibility and to allow local compliance. Uh, Often medical records have to be stored in the country or state and cloud storage is essential to allow that to happen. The other thing is in order to allow highly secure, personalized access, you need to have a situation that's better than simply giving your grandmother a a list of numbers that she has to type in or hold out to the doctor every time. You need to have some personal identification which is familiar, secure, and easy to use. We've chosen the smart card technology very much like the standard chip and pin smart cards that you'll use in banking.
0: Interesting, Dr. Baker. And, you know, I'm going to back up one bit here, because I'm kind of curious when you kind of mentioned um, before about some of the limitations in, about blockchain involving speed and scale. Um, just I'm kind of curious, is there any work that's being done to perhaps address those issues that can be improved on? Or is it kind of a set in stone kind of thing?
1: I think that's going to be the next generation of work for a lot of people. We, we, we've had to start off with that. because We could see those problems right from the beginning. I think that it's going to be something that other people are going to hit fairly soon. It's certainly true that blockchain technologists are working on this, but in the medical field, I think they may have underestimated the the challenges there.
0: I think that's good to know. And, you know, I'm kind of curious here, looking at the research side of it, is there any data or research studies that discuss the effectiveness of using blockchain technology when it comes to issues such as security, access, and saving costs? So... There
1: are actually the big consulting firms have done a number of studies here, Deloitte in particular, that that whole series which have come out. But there are definitely security issues which, if you expose your blockchain, for all blockchains, are perhaps underplayed sometimes, such as the 51% attack, attack, uh, which allows blockchains to be subverted. And we've taken those very seriously and, again, started right from the beginning to make sure that we haven't got that exposure. So just to give you an idea of a 51% attack is that with something like the Bitcoin, if more than 51% of the Bitcoin mining capability lies in the hands of one group, they can actually change what's in the ledger. So the worries have been that if a major government decided to start mining Bitcoin, they could remove people from the ledger and the democratic process of the Bitcoin system Would say that's fair enough. More than fifty-one percent people have said this is false. We we've got uh, solutions around that by using multiple layers of cryptography as well, so people can't be able to change our records in that way.
2: Yeah, that's. Trying to avoid the uh, monopoly syndrome, I guess. Yes, that's right. So, uh, Dr. Baker, do you think you could tell us how Medichain specifically uh, and uniquely uses blockchain technology uh, to have easy and fast access to medical data for patients uh, and providers through the cloud, along with mentioning the use of tokens?
1: So for us, we thought the use of tokens had to be pretty transparent for patients. You have to make things as simple as possible to make things acceptable for the, cons- the consumer. It's, we uh, think about the wonderful experience that people have had with the original Macintosh computers, with the iPhone, and it's by having less interface and less to think about. And so we've done the same, really make, hiding away the use of tokens. But a card access system, you don't necessarily have to know about your tokens. You can program to find out about them, but you don't have to know. As far as they're concerned a smart card, it's a normal way, or even just the normal ways they identify themselves to the doctors. And then the token remains inside the system, essentially. They don't have to think about it. It's used for internal accounting. And occasionally, if they've opted to, to donate anonymized data and therefore earning tokens, they'll, um, as they gain the tokens, they'll find that they get rewards off to them credits for consultations, that sort of thing.
0: Interesting. So, you know, say, for example... I'm a patient, and I am looking to store my data for whatever reason in MetaChain, or some, or the company, or the other company, or hospital system that I'm worked with uses that. Or, you know, how would this work if I wanted to look up and kind of share my medical data? Like, how, how would that process work from from a patient standpoint? Well, ultimately,
1: to get the full security, all we do is we give you a, a smart card, and you use that, you present that, or put it in the card reader uh, whenever you're getting medical medical services, and at that point, all, you you can choose what which data is pulled up for your doctor and anything that you get in your consultation is sent down uniquely to you. There is another way and that is that the EHR providers can embed the data so that you don't need a smart card and then you're identified by the doctor in a normal way. You turn up when he puts in your patient number that identifies you. So that means we can eliminate the smart card. But the smart card is probably the most flexible method.
2: So theoretically... You know, from birth, I could be given this smart card, and it would just follow me throughout my lifetime. Then, um, and my my medical record would essentially follow follow me throughout the the lifetime. Is that right?
1: Yes, that's right.
2: Awesome. So, so from a provider standpoint, how how would the process look? Um, you know, with having to look up patient access and medical data. Um, in theory the the larger that grows and the more people using it then the easier it's going to be to get this medical data all over right yes that's right
1: and so again with the smart card system as far as, as far as the providers are concerned we simply provide them with a smart card reader and other than that it becomes a seamless process the patient puts the card in and they find that the records that they have for that patient are supplemented with the full appropriate sets of records that the patients has decided they want to allow, to allow access to. So it simply looks through the standard EMR system as though they have access to a much larger set of data.
0: Very interesting. That's a very interesting take. And, you know, one thing that I'm sure healthcare systems and other companies, including EMR companies and others, are concerned about, as with any business, is the realm of cost. And you know, realizing that this is most likely dependent on the size used of, in terms of from data storage or other factors. You know, how would this cost, how would utilizing blockchain technology like this cost for healthcare companies to utilize something like this?
1: Well, fortunately, we live in an age of very cheap data storage. So that's a, that, that's a great advantage. And Moore's law means that it will get become cheaper. But in fact, because of our business model, because of the way we've set this up, it's going to cost them nothing at all. In fact, we're actually expecting to pay for implementation in many cases. So the way this works is MediChain is unique in that the costs are covered by the value of the anonymized data. So the real value lies in that mass patient data, which we treat as big data, anonymized and then useful to medical researchers and to pharmaceutical companies who can develop cures for the ailments that the patients have. And that's where the money comes from.
2: Wow. And so there's no cost to the patient either? Not a cent. That's amazing.
0: So Dr. Baker, thanks so much for coming on for some great perspective on kind of this overall method and integration um, of blockchain technology. And, you know, we like to end each episode with this last question to each of our guests, but this time with a slight twist. If you could change one aspect of healthcare provider education, whether it be related to technology or otherwise, which aspect would you change and how would you change it? That's a very good question. I think one of the key things is really trying to work out a structure.
1: It's not going to be easy, because if it was easy, it would be done. Work out a structure which gets all the silos in healthcare provision all working together in the same direction. And that's a, that's a really difficult one. There's always a blocker. There's always a silo that isn't 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 well, marching in step. If we can work out how to educate them to create that unity, that would make a huge change.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think that's a definite theme that we've heard from many guests on there, really talking about the importance of kind of using an interdisciplinary approach within not only educate, you know, of course, not even in just practice, but also within education so that everyone can kind of learn from each other, learn the other perspectives. Cause ultimately as a, because ultimately, you know, as healthcare is going to probably end up going is that we're going to have more of an interdisciplinary approach. So the patient's going to have more of a team of providers that are going to be working together to help. So I think that's a really, really good take on that.
2: Yeah. And I, I mean, I think too, that's part of the mission of our show, right? Is is we interview nurses and doctors and physical therapists and, you know, we, somebody from each discipline to really try to learn what each, each of them is learning on their, their way up in the educational system and try to pick and choose some of the best aspects of those learning processes and try to make maybe change some of the worst ones. Um, but Dr. Baker, thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate your time. Uh, this was very informative for, for me, I know for sure. And I hope our audience will gain some value from it as well and uh, check you guys out. But where can people find you online and on social media?
1: Well, we're on Twitter at MediChain. We're on Facebook at as MediChain.online and on a one-to-one basis or on a chat basis, the best place is our Telegram which is MediChainOnline underscore group.
2: Very cool. And uh, yeah, we'll uh, put all these links up in the show notes for people to go find. And, um, you know, we wish you the best of luck. I know you guys got uh, some big things coming up on Monday. So best of luck to you guys. Okay, thanks a lot.
0: Thank you for attending class today. And we hope that you learned something and gained value from the content.
2: If you'd like to schedule office hours with us, feel free to add us on Twitter